But now, let's learn some things that that are found in the Bible. Let me, if you don't mind, I want to just pray for us. This is kind of some deep water we're going to be swimming in today. I'm going to need some help. Lord, I, I do lift up your, the opportunity for your spirit to enter into our, our minds so that they might have a fuller understanding of what your ambition is in our life, uh, the way you will work, where you will work, how you will work in our lives, so that we might be cooperative, not so surprised, that we might be ambitious for the right things, that we could see how you could change us to become like Christ, and it would, it would be an expression of worship to do that. So, Lord, open our minds, open our souls, open our spirits to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The seminary I attended uh, had a, an unusually large percentage of missionaries that attended the school, and it's because the school I attended was started by a, a mission organization. And the reason I, I mention that is I have great experiences and memories of my graduate school years because of those missionaries. Uh, not so much just in class, but not in class, between class, uh, hanging out at the picnic tables or at lunch where they would just tell stories about what God has been doing all over the world, uh, the enormous sacrifice that some of these men and women endure just to be able to tell other people about Jesus Christ. They're kind of an interesting group of people in, in some respects where they all, have, they all seem to have stories of people that preceded them that are, are motivating them, right? They all knew the history of missions in their country. They knew the names and the dates of the pioneers and and when they got there and all that they endured and the the sacrifices and suffering that were required. And and they they would just tell stories, you know, people doing scary things, people doing scary things. Well, I was taking a class in marriage and family, and again, most of the people in the room are missionaries, and it's, 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 it's all good. And the teacher said, you know, write this down. This is probably going to be on the test. God is not going to ask you to do something that would require you to sin. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, God would not ask you to do something in his will that would require you to sin to get it done. So no one thought much of that. And he let everybody sink in. And then it happened. Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, if I'd have had some popcorn, it'd have been awesome. But then he starts naming missionaries, calling them out by name and saying they sinned. You know, uh, you know William Carey, you know, he was, he was a terrible husband, abandoned his wife. He's going to answer to God for that. Everyone's like, wait, what? You know, uh, uh, C.T. Studd and Bob Pierce of World Vision and Samaritan's Purse, these men were living in sin. They were doing maybe what God's will was, but if it it required sinning, it wasn't God's will. Hands are going up back and forth, all but yelling at each other. This was awesome. I love seminaries sometimes, you know, And, and they're talking about, well, look at all that these men and women did for God. And he just said, doesn't matter. It wasn't God's will for them to be there. Look how courageous they were. Do you have any idea what they did? You know what it would have been courageous? If they'd have gone home, if they'd have used that courage to try to figure out why are they compulsively driven to do something that is clearly not in God's will because God's will would be for them to honor the vows that they made to their mate and the responsibilities they had to their families. Whoo! That's what happens when people are doing things for God, but not with God. 
It's very easy. It's so subtle in our zeal, maybe even to respond to the love of God and for what he has done for us. You can, you can just find yourself two degrees off, but 10 years down the road, you, you are dreadfully wrong. Look how, look how simple it is. We talked last week about the invitation from God himself to live a life of faith could be summarized in a sentence that goes like this. Let's go do scary things together. Seems simple enough. Let's go do scary things together. Let me change the coloring of the, uh, the letters and see if you can see the emphasis. Do you, do you see let's and together or do you see do scary things? Because a lot of people see do scary things. They think the life of faith that they're invited to is to do scary things. And while I commend your sense of adventure, I think you're missing the point of the whole conversation. Because just to review, the series is called With. See, there's the title of the book, the slide. So there's the title of the book. That's the title of the series. Look, even the slide, the original slide, if you'll see, uh, let's do scary things together. See, the, the, the with is right there. So the emphasis is let's and together. Let's do scary things together with the Lord. And if you found yourself looking at that screen last week or even this week and you saw Go Do Scary Things, you're a perfect candidate for one section of the book with, and it's, it's, for it's for people that relate to God in a way where they're doing things for God, where they're ambitious to get things done that are, I don't know, sense of adventure, that's, that's uh, words today are missional and, and radical and sacrificial. And it's very easy to find yourself doing things for God, and finding the mistake is maybe those things were probably for someone else to do those. Or sometimes what's the easiest trap to trip into is I'm going to do things for God, but not necessarily with God. He, he doesn't seem to be in, in the magic because the point of doing scary things together with God is to enjoy the miraculous stories that come when you're doing it with God. It's the God stories, the, the things that could only happen if he, were, if he were there and part of it. Here's another way of looking at it. Life itself, life, okay, life is, is filled with opportunities for you to do scary things together. You, you don't... If you just choose to live life without fear, if you just make a declaration that I, we, us, the family, whatever, we, we will not make decisions based on fear. We'll acknowledge fear. We'll acknowledge that we either fight or flight when we see fear, but we're, we're going to move that over here and now have a rational discussion about what God wants us to do. Not because our home group's doing it, not because everybody else is doing it, but because this is what we feel like God is doing. If you live that life that life will present multiple opportunities for you to trust in the goodness of God to deal with becoming like Christ in all of life. In other words, the, the invitation, let's go do scary things together with, with God, the scary thing is to become like Christ in all of life. The scary thing is not a journey outward, you know, locationally, the, the scary thing is the journey inward. The scary thing that you're going to enjoy God's presence with is when you, 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 
I don't know, you drill down and you have to face what is required to make you, as the Bible says, full and complete and lacking in nothing. It's this, tor- it's this surfacing of, because life does that, just regular life, a life that doesn't live by fear. Life will surface what is required to, to destroy the ego, the bent, the broken part in you that can't be made well until you see the face of God. That's the scary part. And that's why you're going to want to be with him. That's radical. That's radical all by itself. And I wanna, what I want to do today is I want to look at this book uh, in Genesis. We're going to look at a lot of chapters, chapters like 24 through 28. And it's going to be in the life of Jacob. And the purpose of this is, is to show you that here are four major players. They're all part of the, what's called the patriarchs in the Old Testament. In other words, they are the heroes of the faith. They're the founders of the faith. Jacob is the star role in this series, and he is the, fa- he's the father of Israel. They're all churchgoers. They use Jesus talk, but they don't live their lives that way. They, they don't... They don't they don't, take, they don't take the journey of life that God has put them on as an opportunity to see what God wants to change in their souls. Our lives, where we are right now, are sufficient to raise to our awareness of what God wants us to do with him that's scary, to change us. Let me just tell you the story of uh, this Jacob thing. Let's start with the introductions of his father. His name is Isaac. If you look at Isaac, he's the second in the patriarch family. He's the son of Abraham. He's the favorite son of Abraham. He was raised a favorite. That's very important for you to know. He was born, okay, just his temperament, is he's a passive person. He's a quiet person. He's, he's Actually, he's a lazy person. And he, you're going to see the more you, if you read carefully and have a commentary or something, you'll see he's a slave to his passions. And it's the way he's made, but he's chosen to surrender to those. He fi- you'll find him to be a sloth, a, a glutton, and he just follows his appetites wherever they go. His wife, Rebecca, we met her last week as well. If you were here, she is dominant, ambitious. She's extremely intelligent. She's talented. She takes, she takes charge. She gets things done. When she gets afraid, she takes control, and it will always end like she plans. She's She's to be obeyed. Her common sentence will be, obey me. And if you remember, she hauled 2,904 pounds of water. And so on Tuesday, she has CrossFit champions do her toenails for her. You'll do what you're told. She was a favored child. Jacob is introduced before he was even born. Rebecca is pregnant with child turns out children. And she's so concerned about what's going on within her, she has a very tender prayer to God, what's happening. And, you know, they're fighting within her, the twins. They're fighting within her. You're, stop touching me. Stop touching me. It's my side. And so she goes to the Lord, and this is the revelation she hears directly from God. She, says, she, he, she hears this. Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. That is God's perfect, clear, divine, providential plan. The older will serve the younger. Got it. Birthday. Okay, having the birthday. 
like literally birthday. Okay, the first baby that comes out, he looks like he is wearing like a red sweater, it says, a, a, a hairy garment. They look at the dad, what do you want to name him? You've thought this through, right? He goes, uh, going to name him Harry. <laughs> His name is Esau. Esau means Harry. Right on the heels of Harry comes out Jacob. He's literally on the heels of Harry. He has grabbed Harry's heel on the way out. And so, Jacob, what's going on? He goes, the heel grabber. Going to name him heel grabber. That's what Jacob means. It means grabs the heel. Isaac, did you think through these names at all before you came in to this birthing room? No, I did not. There's a trick to the name. Jacob, it means grab the heel, but it also means trickster. It means a person that's going to trip other people up. And so there's a sense of uh, foreshadowing of things to come. There's almost nothing written about them, the boys growing up to be men, but there are two sentences that are filled with meaning. The first one is in chapter 25, verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, and Jacob was content, and he stayed home among the tents. And the two personalities of two, these two boys that are very different are going to be taken advantage of by two parents that were raised in favoritism, and they will play favorites. I know, it's going to be a bad ending. So in verse 28, it says, Isaac, who loved the taste of anything, by the way, Isaac loves the taste of wild game. He loved Esau. He's a good cook. And Rebecca, he, she loved Jacob. And so the two opposite personalities are going to be exaggerated and accelerated, not just because of the way they were made, but now because of the way they were raised. Do you see? So that's the introduction of these three major characters. Now what we're going to see is, is this uh, on display. It's a beautiful act of literature, I, pr I promise you. It, it, it's, I think we're in chapter 27 most of the time. And I want, I want to set the scene here is Esau, uh, Esau and Isaac and Esau, the dad and the older son, Isaac, he doesn't care what God said about who gets the blessing. So he's going to try to give it to Esau. Rebecca, she... Her favorite, she doesn't want her favorite to miss out on the blessing. So we're trying, the whole story is about who's going to get the blessing and how it's going to happen. Rebecca, she's going to be working for God, but not with God. This is what God wills, but she, has, she couldn't care less. At the end of this thing, everyone will pay a price they can't afford. There's an open tab running, and the more language that's used, the worse it becomes. Set the stage. If you could imagine my little uh, rug here is the main tent where Isaac is sitting. He's laying down because that's what he does. He's probably obese by this time. He is blind and old. There's a door on this side, stage left, and there's a flap door on stage right. Rebecca's just outside the tent, eavesdropping like she does. The boys are men. They're 40 years old, but they're boys. It's a sad story. In this family, in, in this, this whole you know, six acts, they're never together. The family isn't together because the family is never together. So they write it that way. Scene one, Isaac has a plan. Here it goes. And now it came about that Isaac, when he was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he went to the older son Esau and he said, my son, here I am. He said, behold, I am old and I, and I don't know the day that I'm going to die. 
Go and get your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and you go out in the field and you, ha- you hunt some wild game. <laughs> this is used so many times, I'll mock it. You prepare savory food for which I love. Prepare the savory food for which I love. And if you do that, that will make my soul happy and I'm going to give you the blessing. Rebecca hears this and says, no, 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 no. By the way, Isaac doesn't care what God does or God wants or God's will because he'd rather have brisket. Rebecca hears this. Look at the division in this household. Just two sentences. It's written this way for a purpose. Isaac spoke to his son Esau, so Rebecca spoke to her son Jacob. Wow. Here's what she says. She, find, she, she overhears this whole thing. She says, now, therefore, my son, obey me. Oh, yeah. You bet you will. Obey me. Obey my voice and my command to you. Now, you go out to the flock and, and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare the savory food in which your father loves then I shall bring it, uh, then you will bring it to the father and you will have him eat it so that he will bless you before his death. <laughs> so so that, there she's setting this, this whole thing up. She already knows this is God's will that he would get the blessing, but, but she's obey my commands. He says, okay, but I, he, I've got this really big problem with this. Oh, the ethics of it? No. Jacob doesn't have any problem with the ethics of it. He'll steal it. He doesn't have any problems with the fact that this is against, completely against God's will. He's got no problem with that. He's got one problem. Mom, his name is Harry, and I'm smooth. What are we going to do? He, he could curse me. I could end up cursing. I could end up being cursed if I get caught. So she says, I'll do it. She says, was I not clear? So, so the mother says, your curse will be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. Yes, ma'am. So he went and got them for them, and he brought them to his mother, and his mother made a savory food in which his father really loved. Here it goes. She's cooking it up. She's making it just like Esau, and then she gets her little boy man, and she puts, his, puts Esau's, the older son's, clothes on him, and then she gets, his, she gets, she gets some wool from you know, some sheepskin, and she grabs her little boy man and dresses him up, puts it on his hands, puts it on the back of his neck in case Isaac would want to feel that. And then she, she finishes the meal and puts it in the hands of the little boy man and pushes him in the tent. It's, it's everyone is doing what they were fated to do. It's the way they were made. It's the way they were raised. They're all just playing their parts. The conclusion is easy to see. It's like a show where you see the first 10 minutes and you know how it's going to end. So anyway, it's, this is where it gets really tense. It's almost like a, like a Mission Possible thing where they dress someone up and, and the original guy's on his way there, right? And, and, and so the, this is the drama of it. So he, walk, he gets pushed in the tent. He walks in there. Uh, uh, Father, uh, who is it? Is it? Who is it? My son? And he says, yes, it's your older son, the firstborn, Esau. What? The firstborn Esau? You don't sound like Esau. How, how, did, how did you get here so fast? How could you possibly have this meal already prepared? And so he says this. And so Isaac says to his son, how could you have found uh, so quickly? My son Andrew said, because Yahweh, your God, granted me success. Could you have blasphemy to the tab that's running? He is quoting Yahweh by name as the reason that he was there. There's something going on. Isaac's like, oh, wait, wait, but this is, you sound like Jacob. Come here, I want to I feel you. He goes, no, it's me. I'm Esau. Comes closer. He feels the fur. 
Ah, I don't know. I don't know. The whole time, J- Jacob's like, let's, let's go. Let's eat. Let's bless. Let's eat. Let's bless. Right now, somewhere else in a field, Esau has caught his, his prey and is skinning it. It's getting close to the finish line. So he says, look, look, let's, let's get going here. He says, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Isaac says, come a little closer. Let me kiss you. And when he kisses him, he's, he's actually smelling him. And he's smelling the clothes of Esau, the older, because Rebekah had planned ahead. And there he goes. And so I went. So when he went and he kissed him, and when Isaac uh, caught the smell of, of his clothes, he blessed him and he said, oh, I love smell. I love the smell of my son and the smell of the field that Yahweh has blessed. May God, here's the blessing, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches and, and the abundance of grain and new wine. May, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Oh, no, here it comes. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Boom. He got the Abrahamic covenant. The plan worked. It's going great. And Esau is on his way. And so it says that Jacob runs out, exit stage right, flap closes. And right when that happens, here comes Esau. Here's the passage. I'm just, this is so fun uh, literature. I'm just going to read this if I can. Okay. As soon as Isaac had finished the blessing of Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac, the father, Esau, the brother, walks in from his game and hunting, and he had the savory food in which his father loved. And he says to his father, Father, arise, eat this game, and bless me. And the father says, "Uh, who are you? Uh, I'm your son, your firstborn. And now it gets dreadful. And Isaac trembled very violently. Who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? And I ate it already before you came. And, and I've already blessed him. Yes, 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 yes. He shall be blessed. Oh, gosh. The only thing worse than this very violent trembling is Esau's reaction. As soon as Esau had heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Oh, bless me, even me so. Oh, my father, bless me. And then the father says, your, your brother is deceived, it was deceitful, and he's taken away your blessing. And he says, Esau says, it, didn't you just name him right? You named him heel grabber? He has Jacobed me. And then he just keeps screaming in this bitterness and crying, bless me, father. Do you reserve no blessing for me? And Isaac says, I gave it all to him, man. I got nothing. He says, bless me with something. And his blessing, he gives him a blessing, but it's kind of a curse. It says, no, everything I said the first time is going to happen. The younger is going to serve the older. Or the older is going to serve the younger. It's just like I said. And you're going to have to live on the field. You'll be a man of the sword. And so it ends with Esau said to his father, have you no blessing for me? And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then he called upon the spirit of Cain, ah, the older, that killed the younger brother. And he says this, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. He says, I know how this ends. I've read the Bible. I'll kill him. This is no idle threat. And Rebecca hears this. And when she gets afraid, she takes control. When she gets afraid, she's in charge. And so she has a new plan. 
And she says, this is what you're going to do, Jacob. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. <laughs> she says that, doesn't she? Obey my voice. My voice, rise, flee to Haran, go to my brother Laban. You're going to go to your uncle's house. And she, here's what she'll say. You're going to go to my brother uncle's house, my, my uncle's house, okay? Your uncle's house. You're, you're going to go there for a few days. And here's what's going to happen. We just need this whole thing to blow over because when, once Esau kind of takes... We get some just a few days, and Esau's going to calm down about all the things you did to him. What? <laughs> Jacob's like, I did. This is all your plan. I was obeying you. Anyway, that's just kind of a punchline in there. And she says, and then and here's how it ends. Jacob is running for Uncle Laban's house for just a few days, and the curtain drops. <laughs> end, of, end of story. It'll be 20 years. It's not a few days. It's more than they could bear. Look at the cost of this. Four losers, no winners. A family divided. People wanting to literally kill each other, but they all go to church. I mean, they're all using God talk, aren't they? They're all kind of doing whatever they could for the Lord, but not with him. <laughs> Isaac Isaac, is, Isaac gives up the providential will of God and how he could play a part in that for some brisket. That's it from savory food in which he loves. Rebecca uses all the gifts that she was given, the way she was made, to use it against her own husband and taking advantage of his blindness. These two boys are at war. This mother who manipulated all this and her favorite little boy, Jacob, they'll never see each other again. He runs to Laban. It'll be 20 years. He can't come back for her funeral. That's the cost of ignoring the whole possibility and the potential of, of going and doing great things with God. And, and when you don't do that, then they all go to church. And they all go to church. Hey, but you know what, though? Jacob got the blessing, Right? I mean, he, he, he got it. He gained the blessing. He gained nothing. The, the blessing was already his. God himself said that he would be blessed. And so he, all of this didn't have to happen. And everyone did what they were fated to do, right? That's the deal. I mean, we learned about how they were made, and we learned about how they were raised. And so the conclusion is so simple. It just, it's drawing lines and saying, well, sure, in light of the way these four characters are made and the way they were raised, that's, that's how this ends up. That's the entire point. That is not fate. This happened because no one put their faith in the kind, gentle instruction and the power of the shepherd that is their king. Four people do scary things. <laughs> the scary thing wasn't getting the blessing. The scary thing is, is the journey inward. Do you see? The, the scary thing is realizing that those introductions about how you're made and how you were raised are the clues. There's your sign for where you're going to trust God. That those, those are the places where you say, ah, this is my bent. 
This is the way I was made. And this will not go away until I get an entire new soul. You know, it's called glorification. The story, this story, the plot of this story, those were actually our story, the plot of our lives. Those are the clues as the means of, of bringing up to our awareness the things that we have to give over to the Lord because only the Lord can change them. Let's go do scary things together with him is let's go inside and figure out what can't get fixed without great deals of help. Okay, look, let's think of it this way. Uh, if you're here uh, for our baby dedications, we'll pray up here regularly. Lord, help these parents understand the way this poor child has been bent so that they could parent that child particularly to make them aware, to help them deliver them from temptation and deliver them from evil, right? Sure, let's pretend that's a prayer for us as well. Because, because that's where, that's where uh, there will be a miracle story where you become like Christ in all of life. That's where it's going to apply to you particularly. And that's where you're going to apply the power of God's spirit. You're going to apply the wisdom of the word of God that's revealed to us, where you're going to have purposeful relations where you can kind of go through this together. Here's, here's the lesson. Here's the message of this section of scripture. If you don't turn over your bent to the power of Jesus Christ to let him make you well, that bent will destroy you and everything you love. That's what's happened here. It's, it, it, it comes up in our churches sometimes. It's like, I'm going to go do something really missional. Uh, we have somebody, I'm going to go to some inner Mongolia or somewhere. And we'll say, okay, that's cool. Uh, and you're courageous. But the first place you're going to go is to marriage counseling because of your seething bitterness that it just exudes, and it's always been part of your life. So you don't need to go there right away. You need to go here. Use that courage to go inside. Here's this, the tragedy of this story is what could have been. Oh, what could have been. See, our, our, our tab that's running over here, right? That's just talking about those four people. This series is based on with relationships. Can you imagine can you imagine the depth of grief this caused the shepherd, Yahweh, the good shepherd, the injury to that relationship because of what could have been when he's, he sees this whole thing playing out and he sees these four sheep in fear running in completely different directions. But there's one, you know, the common is that they're all running away from Yahweh, the shepherd who could cure them and who could love them. And then not just that, it's just this idea, again, this gift that's given. Uh, Jacob, Jacob did not steal this blessing from Esau, okay? It was never his. He didn't steal the blessing from Jacob, from Esau. Jacob and Rebekah, they stole the blessing from Yahweh. They stole a gift that was going to be given to them anyway, and they stole the moment of the giving. Do you see? 
It was always promised. So it's, it's, as though, it's as though they conspired that when God would hold his hand out and say, you can have the Abrahamic covenant, Rebecca says, I'm going to tap on his shoulder this side. When he looks over here, Jacob, grab it and run. Now, while that is insane, look, think of the giver of the gift. You know, he was so looking forward to the, handing it over to them, and they stole what already belonged to them. Well, what could have been, what could have been. Here's, here's God's will for this situation, okay? This is God in, inviting them, let's go do scary things together with me. This is how it could have played out in this idea of, of becoming like Christ in all of life. That's the scary part. Isaac, he shows up one day and he says, Rebecca, I... We have to have often more deep relational conversations, soul talks about our bents and our fears and how it's showing itself in our marriage and family. And I want to go first. At first in a long series of discussions, because this is not going to go away, but here it goes. I am lazy. I was made lazy. I love the feel of lazy. I cannot say no to appetites, and I am not leading in this family. And, that, and, I, and I take responsibility for that. Going forward, I need you. You are such a great leader. Could you teach me how to lead? Could you forgive me for all of my passivity? Could you help me become more disciplined? Could we do this together? Could your strength be the thing that God gave me to make me who I was meant to be? And so, Rebecca, it's her turn. She says, I am strong-willed. I was born strong-willed. I, I have stories of taking charge in my early life, just as a little child. And when I would get scared, I would, I would make people obey, even if they were dolls. And I can't stop. I can't stop myself. And I've taken advantage of your passivity, Isaac, because I get what I want, but we lose. And so I need your help. I need your help. You love life. I never seem to be in a moment because I'm always trying to fix the moment. So maybe you could help me. And she, he says, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, do on this, let's do this thing together. Maybe that's why God put us together. Right, we're opposites so that we could be the primary means that the Spirit would use and that personal relationship and the power of the Word. They could be, we could become like Christ in all of life. Yeah, let's do that. That's God's will. Isaac steps up and says, hey, here's me leading. Let me take a shot at this. Rebecca, you were raised a favored child, and I was raised a favored child, and you and I both know what that does. It used to hurt me to see what I would do to Ishmael, but I couldn't stop it. But I say, we acknowledge that, and it ends here. So the future, the future of this Abrahamic covenant is not destroyed by favoritism because I'll bet more sons are going to want to kill each other if we're not careful. And they say, let's go. Let's do scary things together with God. And they do. And then by the time this handoff is arranged, a mother and father are locking, walking lockstep in with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they've already talked to the boys about who's going to get that covenant and why it's best for Jacob and why it's best for Esau not to get it. And they lived happily ever after. Because when they saw 
let's go do scary things together. They saw it to be becoming like Christ in all of life. How about you? I'll bet, I'll bet you know what the scary thing is. I'll bet you know from four years old, maybe, elementary school, there's this reoccurring way of acting out on the things that you're afraid of, maybe because of the way you were raised, and maybe because it was amplified by the way you were raised. But guess what? That's not fate. That's your sign. That's your sign. That's where you're going to apply, become like Christ in all of life in a supernatural, miraculous, God-intervening way. That's the part of your soul where he's going to touch it. Spirit, truth, a great relationship can make that happen. Could you, I'm going I'm to stop talking for just a second. Why don't you close your eyes? God, would your spirit tell our spirit our bent, the many bents, the reoccurring, always trying to please people, proud or judgmental, passive and afraid, vain and cruel. Amen. Here's your invitation. Jesus Christ, Jehovah Rapha, God the healer, let's go do scary things together. It's not been a really great sermon. So it's just, we're just talking about four really bad people scared sheep doing really dumb things. And so we haven't had a lot of time to talk about God. And I want, I want you to see this is actually part of the story because 24 and 25 and 26, they lead to 27 that ends at 28. These are chapter numbers. Jacob runs for his life. The heel grabber is a wanted man and runs as far and as fast as he can. And then he just comes to some place where he's exhausted. He just comes to some place. It's no place special. It's just a, it's just a place, okay? It's just a place. And he comes to this place and he, he lays his head down. He puts a rock under his head. It's an ordinary place. And he goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping, the heavens open up and he has a vision of a, a ladder and angels are going up and down the sides of the ladder, and at the top was, is Yahweh himself. And Yahweh, not Isaac, no mortal man, Yahweh himself gives Jacob the entire Abrahamic promise in all of its fullness. And then says, I will never leave you. And then he wakes up and says, this is not just some place. This is not a, a regular, this is not just a place. This is, this is heaven. This is the gate to heaven. He calls it, he says, this is Bethel. This is the door to heaven. What happened? Listen, just from like a storytelling point of view, what just happened? 24, 25, 26, 27, all building up 
to some crazy, insane sheep running as far as he can, and then 28 shows up. It's all about God. God, the good shepherd, has abandoned, left the 99, and he found this lost sheep. Chapter 28 is about you can outrun Esau, but you cannot outrun the love of Yahweh. 28 is the peak of the story. That no place special is the place where God shows up the most. So, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. Doesn't matter. The good shepherd, he's, he's, he's there, he's looking. He's always looking for a scared sheep that wants to turn their lives over, back over to him. Is that you? Want to do that? It's a great story because it ends with God and his unconditional, radical love that would chase us down this way. That's the God we serve. <laughs> Let's go do something scary with him, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us uh, with, uh, give us just this, this, this greater, deeper, unusual insight of, uh, of this great adventure that we're on. We get to live a life filled with God stories and miracles of how we used to be scaredy cats and now we're brave, or we used to be domineering and now we're tenderhearted. And something radical changes in our lives, and we, and we just keep telling people about what you did, what you did power of your spirit, the guidance that we find in the Holy Writ, people's influence in our lives to change us, to become like Christ in all of life. That's the great adventure. Lord, I'd ask that we'd see life that way, that we would live a life that doesn't have regrets because we're afraid of something. We live in shame or fear, that we would live in power. We pray that we would see the light. We would see the light, and we let you shine. In Jesus' name. Amen.